ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Gentlemen, we are back again here on Hard in the Paint. I am David Grubb, and joining me is my man, my brother, uh, the one and only partner in our high-low, Mr. Dino Hanson. Dino, the Dean. How are you doing, sir? My brother, stop with the formalities, man. Stop with all that, uh, 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 all that intro nonsense. People know... <laughs> I'm just messing with you. People know who we are. People yes. know what we do. That's this is right. what people want this content for, brother, because we 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 because we bring that heat the way that everybody wants it, my brother. And I love you for that. Always have is because we can just speak the game of basketball from any angle, but more importantly, we speak it from an authentic, true aspect of what's really going on. So as always, my brother, you know, I'm always great come Thursday when we get to go high low. We back on the court doing what we do, man. So I'm fantastic, my brother. How are you? How are you? And how did my niece do yesterday with her uh, chilling uniform on and everything else from yesterday? She was fantastic. The team won. Um, so <laughs> she has another game today. Today they have a home game. So okay. she's going to be she's going to be back at it. She loves the fact that she looks like the Clovers from Bring It On. Like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know like that that movie is twenty years old you know what I'm saying like it's, but it still resonates with her and her yeah. friends they call themselves like their school mascot is the Gators but her friends her black friends that that are in the cheerleaders they all call themselves the Clovers like under yeah, under yeah. undercover because they're green and gold and they they that's who they want to be are those Clovers so it's like you see the impact of something like that that representation um, even on my daughter all these years later. And I want to share this because this was the funniest thing yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the inauguration was yesterday and, and the big thing was about Michelle Obama's outfit. Everybody was talking about it. Oh, her. yeah. And just from top oh, to yes. bottom, the hair, the outfit, this just slated. Everything was impeccable, top to bottom. So my daughter, we get in the car this morning, two things, we know I'm driving her to school, um, you know, just you know, just having normal banter at the border. We like to have fun, and like to joke around. And I asked her about you know the inauguration, and she said, first daddy, uh, she's like Joseph Joe Biden's middle name is Robinette." She's like, "That that that's weird." I said, "Okay, yeah." Then the second comment out of mouth was, "But did you see Michelle Obama's outfit? Because it looked like she was saying, yeah, my husband is here too.'" And I'm like, this. I said, did you come up with that? Did, is that you saying that? I said, did anybody tell you? She's like, no, I'm, I'm saying this. I was like, all right, baby, you got one right there. I said, you got the gift. You got the gift. You know how to put a sentence together. I exact. I know exactly. That's, that's how you know her last name is Grub. The <laughs> apple don't fall far from the tree, my brother. It don't fall far from the tree, man. <laughs> nope, she's like, it's that that's a good thing and then you know having to argue with myself essentially knowing the person who knows my mm -hmm. rhythms and argues the mm -hmm. same way that i do yeah it can be frustrating because she is me and when we get into the arguments and my wife poor desiree she's like living with two of y'all having to have a, and one of them's going through you know puberty and everything it's like 
Yeah, I, yeah. Like sometimes she's like, sometimes I just I just want a night in a hotel by myself. I said, I, <laughs> I get it. I, I know. But you, 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 but in addition to that, I will have to say this: one of the most observant things that caught my attention yesterday, not to get into politics because we're not really getting into politics, yeah. but the level of class and professionalism and leadership that was shown yesterday when Michelle and Barack walked out. And the reason why I mentioned that is the thing that caught my eye more than anything else, out of all the former presidents who were with their former first ladies, who are men and women, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama were the only two that were holding hands the entire time from the moment they was walking through the Capitol. Mm -hmm. That right there spoke volume to me. That speaks volume in the sense of this man and his woman, his partner. They are partners. They are. They see themselves as equals and partners and, and I titles love that. don't change that. I love that. I love that, man. I and, love and that. It, 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 it is those pictures are striking and then just the joy like they're they're not we're not gonna get political but just the joy of watching barack obama and kamala harris bump fists yes and, and knowing like knowing what that means from one black person to another to another black yes when, when you're in that situation in that moment and you're not it, nobody else was there in that moment there were, all of the people watching completely forget that there's there's you completely forget that there are people, there are cameras. You're authentically, organically yourself, and they are and touching. You and it's, they're sending you, a message you, to each other, like, "I, you, you're going where I have been. It is not like anything that you're ever going to experience, and mm -hmm. I'm the only one who's going to understand what you're about Man, to go yep. through. And, it's, and, and I'm it's, here, and I'm here for you. Yep. If you need to me, help you, like." I'm here. S sister. Yeah. Sister. Yes. The phone. It's powerful, bro. I mean, and it's that's and and it doesn't have and, and that goes on from Barack Obama and Kamala Harris down to two dudes on the same shift at you know in a warehouse. When they come together, you know, at changing the shift, you get it'd be like, hey man, I know what you've been through today. I'm gonna take over from here, go home, get some sleep. It's that same knowing thing that you just do. We survive. We gonna make it. That they same synergy, that same synergy in unison that you have as basketball players that you're supposed to have. The same, the same synchronicity that you and I have when we do high low. The conversations and, and Dave, I don't think people really understand. From the moment you and I met, from that moment you and I met the first time. It just clicked. And there are some things that people, you know, when you're looking at a game, because of course that's what we're here to talk about. But when you're looking at a game, they just don't understand the level of, so how did you and David even know? I could tell you situations, but when you know, you just know. When you're on the same page, you're just, it just is. It's a... It's a spirit of connection that is like nothing else. Even when I would tell people, people were like, how did you know Dave was gonna throw you an alley-oop? Like, what do you mean, how do you know? He looked and assessed the same situation I did at the same time, 
And we knew, you just know we're prepared for these situations. So absolutely, man. Absolutely, my brother. I want to revisit something that we talked about last week and it kind of, we saw it come to fruition. Um, And and so now it's good to respond to it. We talked about Kyrie Irving and what he was going through as an individual, as an athlete, as an artist, as he sees himself. And in the last week, what we found out is Kyrie is now back on the court, um, but he went through some stuff. And he was open. He talked about people not knowing who he really is and his own mental health and dealing with that and the need to take care of yourself, the impact of all the things that have gone on. You had the controversy with Jackie McMullen's statements where she referred to him and other black athletes in a, um, in a manner of they are property of their teams. And that was something that, that, that kind of sparked another conversation. And then you had Kyrie finding out that Kyrie had bought a home for the family of George Floyd. And, and you understand the lasting impact that this year has had this past year rolling into 2021 has had on him. I think it's time to stop having these, you know, quite frankly, bipolar conversations about Kyrie in the sense that he's either good or evil. This is a dude who's, who's growing up and dealing with things that we're all dealing with in his own way. And I appreciate his honesty. And if his team understands what he's going through and they have an understanding of what the timetable is going to be like and, and how he's going to deal with things, then I can't be mad at him. I was happy from hard in the paint going high, low perspective that we spoke about it before it even came to fruition. Mm-hmm. That lets me know how in tuned we are as brothers and as partners and being able to communicate that to the listeners. And then for Kyrie to come out and expand upon the same issues that we were just referring to, I appreciate it because Kyrie is unique in that you can see he just genuinely cares about growth and progress and improvement, not just within himself, not just within his team, but in society and our communities as a whole. I love that because that lets me know he has his finger on the pulse of what is impacting us as a people and as a society. He's an individual who is empathetic and he feels, you know, deeply, you hit deeply, deeply. And you hear it in sports all the time. Well, you know, guys just aren't passionate enough and guys don't feel it. But then you have somebody that is passionate and somebody is feeling it. And then you want to berate the guy. It's like, okay, listen, and I love that he's willing to tell anybody, you don't have the right to dictate to me how I'm supposed to feel about a situation. The same way I can't tell you how you're supposed to feel. If I need to take a mental break away from everything, that is my right to do that. Just because you determine what my career is as a basketball player or as an athlete, you don't have the right to dictate to me what kind of human being 
mm. I'm supposed to be. This is me. This is what I feel. This is what, oh, well, you're making so much money. What does making money at my, well, you know what? There are doctors who make tons of money as well. You don't think they take mental health breaks? There are many people who make a lot of money. Money does not equate to my polarizing aspect of my career that will supersede who I am as a human being. And I love that he delved into that. I can appreciate the fact that, and I, and, and I hope as he gets better in this process of growing up as a man, because let me tell you something, Dave, you got men who are 30 who are trying to figure it out. You got men who are 40 who are trying to figure it out. You got men who are 50 trying to figure, we're all trying Every to Every day pivot. you're trying to figure it out. <laughs> Every day. You're pivoting, you're pivoting, you're adjusting, you're trying to adapt things right now and money does not change who you are, what's in your DNA. And I love that he feels deeply because you and I both have been there. For as much as you and I love each other, the thing that we respect about each other is the fact that when I needed to take a break because it was becoming overwhelming during 2020, you'd be like, oh, Dino, come on, man. I gotta have you today. I gotta get it. I'm like, Dave, I'm not in the right frame of mind to talk about sports and basketball at all because I'm looking at what's going on on this landscape. And then all of a sudden, here it is. I'm ready to start talking sports again. But no, now my brother. Hey, Dean, I can't do it right now, bro. Like what you were going through the past month, I'm dealing with it right now. But that level of communication is what I'm alluding to with Kyrie. That level of respect for your teammates and understanding. And I hope there that, that Kyrie becomes better with communicating that to the guys that are like, guys, I feel a certain way right now. I love y'all. I want to be a part of this, but I need to take some time to me because I, even with him doing what he did for the George Floyd family, the thing that he's doing behind the scenes, man, that nobody talks about that a lot of pro athletes do. Because when you do it from the heart, you don't need to video what you're doing for other people to appreciate it. It's man, he not about go these out of his other way to publicize when he paid WNBA play set player salaries. He didn't go out of no. his way to publicize. It always came out after the fact from other people. Yeah. Who told on it. But that's not being but he didn't speak way. And my thing yeah. too is if we when we talk about athletes and we talk about their distractions, and people will get on if it's substance abuse or if it's um spousal issues or if it's aggression or criminal activity, then they want to deal with that. But Kyrie is saying my conflict is there are bigger things in the world. World. than my job right now there are things going yeah. on that will affect that will affect generations yeah. and i feel as if i can help make some positive change in that am i utilizing the best of my personhood not my athletic skills because again there will 25 years from now yeah we'll have videotape of Kyrie doing some of the some of the greatest individual moves we've ever seen he'll be a champion that stuff will be in the records mm-hmm but Kyrie Irving is talking about 
how is he going to be remembered as a man, not as an athlete? As a person. How yeah. is he going to live yeah. the rest of his life when he has children, when he has grandchildren, when he has nieces, nephews, whatever, when these people come and look at him? And it's the same burden that a Carl Anthony Towns is carrying in a different way in watching mm. his entire family. Like, it, people talk about his mother. No, he lost several members of several his people family. people in his family. Yeah. Several. And yeah. He's dealing with that, and now he has COVID, and he's dealing with that. We're talking about the mental health of these athletes and, and understanding that the world doesn't begin and end in that gym. That doesn't mean that they don't care about their jobs, but what it <laughs> means is I can never do my job to, to the best of my ability if my mind isn't right. Yep. If, if your mind and your heart aren't there, the last thing you're thinking about is my job. One of the first statements that Carl put out as well was to his nieces saying that he's gonna do everything right and that he has to do to make sure that his nieces, nephew, and those kids don't have to endure or suffer losing another family member. That, is more lasting than anything else you do athletically, man. And nobody has the right to tell you what you're supposed to be thinking and feeling. And you see people who will leave comments, well, you know, okay, so you lost X, Y, Z amount of people, but what about the people that have recovered? Time out. Do you realize how insulting that is to Carl Anthony Towns to tell him that he should care less because so many people have recovered, but yet my mom is gone. My aunt is gone. I know people personally who have I have lost during this period, but you're gonna dictate to me because you haven't lost anybody how I'm supposed to feel? Oh, just go out here and make your money and play sports and entertain me. The audacity of you, man. And that's the problem in the, in, in the, in, in the human side that Kyrie is trying to get people to recognize, and not just Kyrie, so many other athletes as well are trying to get people to understand, dude, the same, and I posted it the other day on Twitter, the same situations and life adjustments that you're going through, making $30,000 a year, $50,000 a year, $100,000 a millions a year, I still deal with those same problems every day, man. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not removed because you, I make X, Y, Z amount of that money. That hurts you the same way, whether you got same a million way. dollars or five, if you are a compassionate person. And to go through that in one year, to go through that in one year, let me take away six, seven, eight members of your family in one year through something that you, in some ways you feel could have been prevented. That's the thing mm -hmm. too, is that you feel like in their yeah. ways that other people who you don't even know probably help contribute to the death of your family member because they wouldn't do the responsible thing. Because of their egregious behavior and their lack thereof empathy towards humanity. And so we're asking them, and then in the midst of this, all these cancellations in the NBA, these games being canceled preemptively, it's time in my mind that the league reassess what's going on because you are messing not only with the, the health of your players, but you're also talking about the integrity of your season because it's if you have one team like the Washington Wizards where, where 
more than half the team is infected. And they're affecting other people's schedules because you can't move them and play. You can't sub those games. You're going to have to reschedule all of that. You are changing the balance of how the rhythm of a season goes, how how when I anticipate this physically, mentally, all those things – it changes the integrity for people who have to play Washington mm-hmm. at different times for these teams that had to go out there with seven players, eight players and have their lineups compromised by this. Right. Those are not games that, that you can sit there and say that that's a game that could cost you a playoff spot. It could cost you positioning. It could cost you home court advantage. It could cost you any number of things. And they're playing them knowing that they are not, competitive events you 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 are changing the, the integrity of the game and let me piggyback off of that with you as well in addition to that you know last season once they got back into playing again and went into the bubble you kept hearing everyone say well does an asterisk need to go with the 2020 season and quite frankly it most certainly didn't need to go with that season but if you continue at the rate that you're going right now, those teams that make the playoffs or don't make the playoffs, yeah, an asterisk should go on this season because other teams were not at full strength and they were not able to compete at a high level. So now you're putting yourself where as a 2021 season, it's looking like an asterisk season because you're competing. Hey, it's like you are literally competing against guys. And that's not to say those well those seven guys are in the NBA but those seven guys that are playing aren't the Russell Westbrooks they aren't the Bradley Beals they aren't the Carl Anthony Towns they aren't your elite top tier in every facet of life in every job you have your top tier and then you have those others who not to not to diminish them but they're not the top tier guys so when you go to war don't you want to go to war with your full arsenal and the best of the best leading the way? There's a reason why these guys are starters. There's a reason why guys are on the bench. There's a reason why guys don't get minutes. There's a reason why it's all part of the overall construct. So dude, if, if the Lakers are without LeBron and AD for a week, all of a sudden, you're putting players in positions who work well with LeBron and AD as opposed to having carried the load. Now the Lakers have lost three or four games, and instead of being at the top of the Western Conference, now they're maybe in third. Those and, losses impact And even impact with that, team. yeah, because but even with that, you know, people will say, well, it's, what's the difference between that and an injury? Well, here's the thing, too, is you're not only shortening the rosters and, and you're not even forcing these teams to play, but when you postpone, that's the thing, too, is – postponing is a huge shift because there is a rhythm to your season and getting Mm -hmm. to play a team at one point is different than getting to play them at a different part of the season. This will lead to more back to backs because you have to fill these games in somewhere. So I didn't have these, these many back to backs, a team that had nothing to do with this. They were healthy. They don't have any COVID issues, but their schedule now they'll be forced to play a back to back before they have to play somebody else who may be a tough opponent. They have to endure and suffer through that as well. And then what are you doing with more back-to-backs? You're opening yourself up to injuries. Okay? 
And so, fatigue, which also causes guys to what have lower to get immune hair? systems when you're immune, when immune you're systems? tired and you're traveling, your immune system is also weakened. So you it's enhance weakened. the potential of people getting infected. Yep. Moving, even though you're still moving through airports, you're still moving through hotels, and it doesn't matter if it's from the airport only to the hotel to the gym. There are other people in those places, and you have no control over what they've done or what they're doing. And that part of it, you we saw the only way to do this successfully is in a bubble, and you cannot have a six-month bubble. The NBA needs to pause. Get it they right. have to. They have to because it's looking every day. And right before we went on just now, I showed you the latest. The Memphis Grizzlies have now postponed their next three games. This is going to become more of the norm then it is the exception because if you do not halt things, get a hold of it and allow this. Now, am I saying take a month off? Am I saying take a week off? Honestly, Dave Grubb, I don't know. I don't know. But you've got to stop it right now. Otherwise, you're going to do more harm than good for your brand. And I understand people... You know, I was just talking to a friend of mine who is in L.A. and talking about them being back on quarantine again and what's open, what you can't do, what you can do. Here's the thing about it. People can gripe and complain all they want to. But if you shut it all down, there's nowhere for anybody to go anyway. So gripe and complain because we're going to do what is best for everybody at this particular juncture. That is leadership. Being a leader doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing uh, uh, or, or that you're more concerned with the friendship and people's happiness. Being a leader a lot of times mean, means having to do the things that nobody else wants to do, can do, or is going to agree with. But if it's going to benefit everybody as a whole, that's why you're in that leadership position. You have to be the bad guy. We've talked about it as far as a coaching standpoint goes, Dave, going from being the assistant coach to the head coach. Mm -hmm. As the assistant coach, you were the guy that as players we came and talked to because you were that conduit between the players and the head coach. Now, all of a sudden, you transition that one seat over to the head coach. You have to have a different makeup and understanding now. It's no longer... This situation where, yeah, and you still have open dialogue, you still have conversations, but you gotta make the tough decisions now, okay? It's a choice that has to, it, it's, it's something that has to be made. Otherwise, Dave, we are in, we're about to hit February, 2021, an entire year mm -hmm. because a lack of leadership in every aspect this is the exact same things the NBA will be dealing with, the ramifications. You're not even talking about the health issues that could be impacting players who had, get this now, players who had COVID last season that so still don't seem and feel right right now. That's something we're going to be figuring these, out for five years, ten years from now. So they, 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 don't, they have not considered any of that, and that's going to be the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, all the and college sports in particular, will have to deal with this for years to come, and they mm -hmm. have to pay pay dearly. 
Um, I want to move on to before we we're gonna close with the Pelicans, but I wanted to to have a few minutes to just do a Draymond Green appreciation <laughs> because people look at Draymond Green and they look at his stats, and Charles Barkley loves to make fun of him as uh, the triple single, the triple single guy. Um, but the Golden State Warriors have had a huge turnaround as of late. They are playing much better basketball. They came back from 19 down, beat the Lakers the other night. And you would still say, top to bottom, that roster had no business beating beating the Lakers. Nope. What we are reconfirming, though, for basketball people who thought it was a joke, is that Steph Curry is an all-timer. There's no joke about this. Stop. The slander that put it was put on that man's name. Yeah, just shut it up. Just shut it up. And the other part is Draymond Green is one of the greatest offensive and defensive minds that you will ever see and his impact on the basketball court. I want to throw this one quick stat at you because I don't want to overdo it, but this stat I think is perfect when it comes to Draymond Green. All right. There are only four players in the entire NBA, four players in the entire NBA who have an assist percentage of at least 30%, an assist to turnover ratio of two to one, a defensive rating below 105, a net rate, a positive net rating overall, and play at least 20 minutes a night. Those four players, LeBron James, Jimmy Butler, Mike Conley, and Draymond Green. Now, all the statistical guys for LeBron, Jimmy, Mike Conley, all look like they're going, they're putting up all-star type numbers across the board like that. But when you talk about the impact, moving that basketball, defending multiple positions, calling, there's a segment on Twitter that I posted and I, I mean, I retweeted from someone showing the amount of control he has on the defensive end telling people where to go, where to be, where to go. how to move, mm-hmm. and still his ability to cover multiple positions. And he is not a great athlete, but his ability to still move and cover multiple positions for a team that is not that good. And when he's off the floor defensively, they are very bad. Mm-hmm. Y'all need to put some respect on Draymond Green's name. Well, this society... And those stat guys are never going to put respect on his name because they don't understand the intricacies of the game of basketball and what is necessary for this team to be successful and the importance, which is something that you and I have spoken about forever, of having a basketball savant with a high IQ, a basketball player on the court with a, with a high basketball IQ who's a savant who is also extremely unselfish and willing to do what it takes for team success. Draymond is not concerned about his individual status because everybody on that team and organization value Draymond's importance, okay? So I love that Draymond could care less what anybody has to say, including Charles Barkley, who last time I checked, Look at my hand. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Oh, my fault. He doesn't have any of those things to put on his fingers. So 
Draymond can be the single chaser, or, or, or should I say, uh, what was the term you used? He said he said he's a uh, single, uh, the triple single. Yeah, the the triple single guy. I'll take a triple single guy who is a champion over a guy who was a double double guy nightly and still gets clowned by Kenny and Shaq for not having rings. And when Draymond is on there, still getting clowned for not having rings. I think Charles says a lot just to hear himself speak. See, my problem, like my problem though with it is Charles is diminishing exactly the kind of player that he needed in his career. No, that he needed in his career. Like that's the guy you need next to you. He loved Rick Mahorn. Rick Mahorn is a lesser, much lesser version of Draymond Green. You know what I'm saying? He loved well, when I he say loved Dennis Rodman as a basketball player, but you don't love Draymond Green. It's like you have something other than because those guys are the he he look what he's Bobby the Jones on those six. He's the teams. conduit. Bobby Jones he's on those conduit. six teams that won the title. You know the one that won in '83. Bobby Jones didn't have great numbers. But Bobby Jones did what? He did all the little stuff. He got the loose balls. He got the block shots in transition. He he was a defensive stopper on on the ball and as a t- as a uh, rotating defender. Those are things that championship teams have to have. And Dr- and Draymond is the seventy sixers would not have been able to win it without a Bobby Jones during those sacrificial aspects of the game. Now, when I say Charles was just like Draymond. I say that in the sense of his level of tenacity of mm-hmm. what he brought to the court. That's all that I was thinking. Yeah, they both guys who want to the court. kill on the court. Exactly. I, I don't know why you and don't respect that out of him. Respect and, the ex- and, 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 and that's the point that I was making. It's just like, dude, Draymond brings this, 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 this hard hat to work every single night. Let me also back up to this, and you remember this. The Draymond Green that we've seen on this championship Golden State Warriors basketball team and who Draymond Green is now, let's not forget when he came out of Michigan State, he was a fat boy. But nobody expected. I wanted Draymond Green when he came into the league. I thought, because remember, Draymond slipped all into the second round. Right. That night, he's carried that chip on his shoulder ever since. He slipped to that second round. I thought at the time, because that was, I believe the year he came in was the first year LeBron was in Miami, if I'm not mistaken. And I thought Miami, I remember tweeting that night during the draft that I thought Miami should have taken Draymond Green because I thought he was the perfect Miami Heat player. You know, that's a dude who's smart, was going to defend. He could handle the ball. He could pass. He, He was... Again, evolutionary Udonis Haslam for you. That's what I was mm-hmm. thinking, was that you, mm-hmm. Udonis was on the downside even then. Let's move Udonis. I mean, you could have still kept Udonis as the vet, but you had Draymond right there, and he slips to Golden State. And like I said, everybody wanted to talk about his weight, but it was like, mm. do you see how quick he is here? This is the same yep. thing with Charles. Charles came in at 325, 6'5", 325. People have to remember that yep. Charles Barkley was a, what they called him was a bumblebee. That there was no Brown way that be able to fly. And Charles could fly. Draymond is not close to the athlete that Charles was. But Draymond's mm-hmm. mind, as far as what he sees on the court and his ability to adapt to situations, he's a genius. 
He's a genius. It's, a, it's like the movie A Beautiful Mind watching Draymond on the basketball court. And people will say, well, why, if he's that good, why didn't it work last year? Okay, well, it didn't work last season because you didn't have a Steph Curry who also understands how this works together. You see, it's fine if you have one basketball savant on the court. But if you don't have at least another person that's complimentary to at least accommodate those other three players that are there, there's no way Draymond could do it from his own perspective because Draymond works with another basketball savant in that with Steph Curry. Yeah, the what did same we see? way Steph and Draymond adjusted with these new guys, with Wiggins and with Wiseman and with Oubre, Oubre watching them yeah. at the beginning of the year fail. And Steph figured, okay, these are the things I have to do now which meant more <laughs> handling of the basketball and creating for others, which he's done. Yeah. And Draymond said, yeah. I need no numbers. My job yeah. is to facilitate and get these other young get guys, these guys easy looks because their confidence yeah. is fragile. And you see the yeah. way he talks to James Wiseman. And it's like, man, you got this matchup. This is what you do. That's I don't care if that's Marcus all. I like you doing that against him. I like that. That's a good matchup for us. And he's saying it in front of Gasol, not just for Wiseman, but for Gasol. I'm putting the confidence in you and I'm putting the doubt in him. And I'm not saying this in an insulting way. I'm saying it in a direct, I believe this shit and you better believe it too. Kind of. I mean, and, and what makes it even better is that saying it in front of Gasol also makes Gasol mind starts to wonder and question this shit as well, bro. He ha Draymond has intent like no other. The same way Draymond is doing mentally, he is mind-screwing other players and other teams the same way Dennis Rodman used to do other players. We talked Dennis about this is before not, as well. Mm -hmm. You know, Dennis... Remember, you remember we talked about this when it came to Alonzo Mourning and Dennis Rodman. And I'll never forget, they were talking to Alonzo in Miami about Dennis Rodman. And this is before the game was even played for the playoffs. And Alonzo Mourning goes, listen, I'm going to go in, I'm going to play my game. I'm not even going to think about Dennis Rodman and so on and so forth. Then they talked to Dennis later on. Dennis is like, he's already thinking about me because he's talking about me already. I'm already on his mind. This is what Draymond is doing. He's instilling confidence in his team and strategically minimizing and making Gasol think, oh, so you think you can do that? Watch me do this. And that's working directly in the hands of what Draymond Green wants you to do. Prove me wrong so that way you could play into my hands because I know this is what you're going to do. He is mentally screwing opposing teams because he knows these other guys are not putting in the work. And when it comes to Steph Curry, it is a shame and a travesty that people still do not give this man the credit. He is single hand. I don't know if you saw uh, last night how he literally broke down and scored in the, this is the other thing too. For as little as he is, we talked about this before. You ever notice who's always scoring at the rim? 
He is a fantastic finisher at the rim. One of the great (laughs) finishers at like as far as guards go in the NBA, it's six five and up. It's him and Kyrie. Kyrie's number one because I because Kyrie can finish any hand, anytime, absolutely. But Steph, the genius of Steph around the rim is he understands pace, he understands touch, and he understands angles because he will change his body angle to flip a layup. And that and that's all basketball is and people don't understand that i tell people the reason why i was good at math and geometry and trig is because of the math teachers that i had which then would translate into basketball for me because it's always the angles you're always playing angles it's all a mathematician's equation of angles so last night he literally this is steph dribbling just like he did to AD the night before where it looked like he was getting ready to go to the hole. He backs up, go ahead, shoots his step back three, but then he's making you think one thing that you're about to see when in actuality, he's getting ready to do something else. Last night at the top of the key, he literally dribbles by three opposing players, gets to the lane as somebody is trying to come and block the shot, lays it up right over him like it wasn't nothing and runs back down the court just kind of like, oh, well, this is what I do. The man's wizardry, the man's understanding of the game of basketball and what he brings to the court is like nothing you've ever seen before. And then on top of that, he can shoot the ball from deep. The man's skill set, and this is another guy, just like Draymond had to work to get to the player that he is. Remember, Steph was not anything other than a shooter when he left Davidson because they didn't realize he could handle the ball and lead a team. Remember, people freaked out when Golden State decided to let go of Monte Ellis for Steph Curry. That's why Steph was so cheap. That's why he was so cheap on his first extension because they were saying his his ankles were never going to be right and he couldn't couldn't defend and that, you know, he couldn't get to the rim. Those were the three things that that, that were the big criticisms of him um, is that he could not play the point that he wasn't going to defend and that his ankles were going to cost him his career. And so Golden State got a really that, – that whole deal, his bad ankles, is the reason they had the money to get KD in the first place. So, yeah, and, and again, this was not a dude who was considered an athlete. You know what I mean? Like physically, you're not a jumper. He's not he's – He not was slow. Fast. Yeah. 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 He, you know, he, he was quiet. He wasn't a leader. But as we've talked about before as well, D. Grubb, Excuse me. Just because he's the he's the PG on the team doesn't mean he has to be the vocal one. You got Draymond Green. Draymond's the vocal one. So it's all a matter of knowing how to balance each other and utilizing the skill sets that make your team better. And let's be honest, the three guys that are on the court at any given time with Draymond or Steph and other on other teams, they would just be average mediocre guys. But Steph and Draymond are making these guys better. And that's the key right there to being a great player and a great teammate and a leader. When you're able to make your teammates better and believe in themselves and buy into what it is that you know. Because Draymond and Steph know what success looks like. They know how to get to that level of success. And that's where it comes from. You take that all the way back to two how they were raised collegiately. 
You're talking about guys and who were put in winning situations. Draymond Green was a senior coming out of Michigan State, having learned the game at the hands of Tom Izzo. uh, And then you have Steph having – Steph's getting all the way to the Elite Eight, taking that Davidson team all the way to the Elite Eight on the brink of the Final Four, getting to two Sweet 16s in the three years that he was at Davidson – there is a sense of understanding how to win. And then, like you said, you get to understand how your leadership style is. Steph may not be the vocal person, but he is the, not the emotional part, but he's the, he's the swagger. Cause when Steph mm-hmm. is shaking his shoulders and going back up, at the court, <laughs> that's when Golden State, you know, that's, that's how you knew when Steph was jiggling. Yeah. It was like, yeah. it was like Antoine Walker, when Antoine Walker got his, you know, multiple, when he's hitting the threes from deep and he gets the shimmy. Now he's in yeah, the like, here it comes. Here it comes. Let's transition that to the Pelicans where I don't (sighs) see that guy in your locker room. Your best player is not that guy in, in who in Brandon Ingram right now, your overall best player, your most talented player in Zion Williamson is not that guy. Lonzo ball is not that guy. Eric Bledsoe is not that guy. Steven Adams is not that guy for all the things that Steven Adams does fantastically well as a basketball player. He's not that guy, that element, and I, I i don't see, you're talking about a team that's won one out of its last seven games, just playing other players is not going to fix their problems. There is a shortage of winners, of people who understand how to win, and I don't think you can learn to win by losing more close games because we've watched this franchise do that for six out of the last seven years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned that also. And I and, and it makes me think back, and I'm going to come back to the Pels real quickly. What Steph and Draymond are doing in Golden State, they're working with Kelly Oubre, Wiggins, guys who have always done what? Lost. Lost. So they're having to infuse and teach them what it takes to win. On this Pelicans basketball team, you don't have guys who know what winning looks like at this level. You don't have guys on this team who take that leadership role. All the players that you've mentioned, and we both have discussed this, from Steven Adams to Brandon Ingram to Zion, they're all and have been what? Complimentary guys who have been thrusted into being leaders, but that's not in their DNA. That's not in their character. Either you are that or you aren't. That's Zion it. You himself said he viewed himself at Duke as you don't have to run plays for me, coach. Make sure RJ gets his shots, all those things. Complimentary again. Uh, that's it. Like you said, he wanted to be part of the team. And it, even when you realize you have the you are the best player on the team, I would like you to say. Well, okay, if I'm the best, then this is my team. Give me the ball. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he That's, has not done that yet. He's not done that. Brandon, quite honestly, right now, and this is just from what I've seen, that next step that I wanted to see Brandon take from a leadership role. And, and you see, people construe leadership in the sense of thinking, oh, well, you got to get up more shots. No. No, no, no. I'm not talking about adding to your stats. I'm talking about in a demeanor in which you carry yourself on the court of leadership. 
It doesn't mean you're getting more shots. It doesn't mean that you're handling the ball. It just means that you are literally in charge of and directing the team for the betterment. So that, that, that next step after this contract and after the season that he had last year, that next step of the maturation process, I haven't seen yet. And that's what's somewhat disheartening. I'm not surprised by Steven Adams because Steven Adams, this is what he's always been. This is who he is. He is okay? as good at what he does as anybody in this league. He, he, he is an impact. He impacts winning in that regard on the court. He absolutely does. He is an impact player. But at no time in his career has he ever been asked to carry the mantle to carry, of there leadership you go. to be the teacher. That's not his. That's never been his role because a there were no bigs to teach in Oklahoma mm-hmm. City. So who are you going to explain that stuff to? That was a team built around other veterans and small ball guys. So you weren't going to talk to Melo about front court defense. You ain't going to talk to Paul George about front court defense. You weren't talking mm-hmm. to KD about those types of things. You weren't talking to Russ about those types of things. You were listening to what they said more yep. likely than not. Um, and complimentary, and, and, complimentary pieces. And that's the same thing that Zion is. He's a complimentary piece. He doesn't realize he should and could be that vocal guy. But here's the thing about it, about realizing it. If it's not in your DNA makeup, it's just not in your DNA makeup. So people want to misconstrue. Oh, but he's, you know, he can jump through the roof. What does jumping through the roof have to do with leadership? You and I played ball our entire lives with guys. And I'll tell people this it at St. O, there were two other guys who literally could out jump me even at my highest point, but they weren't leaders and they didn't have the work ethic. I wanted it more than they did. It wasn't just a matter of talent. It's a matter of what are you willing to do and are you growing your game and are you growing your team? And right now the Pels just not have, the Pels haven't shown that and what it's looking like, and I know you feel the same way, what it's looking like is, not only is it the player's DNA, it's the organization's yes. DNA. I think, and I, I so I don't want to do, you know, the thing we talked about when they started this road trip, and I don't want to go into a up and down roller coaster analysis of these games. The thing that's been consistent is that they are the worst defensive team, you know, the, the 29th ranked defensive team in the league since January 1st. That's just a fact. They are a bad mm-hmm. defensive team. That it is not when when you hear Brandon Ingram in my mind and say we need to shoot more threes. What you don't understand, Brandon, and this is what I would tell him directly if if I was asked. What you don't understand, Brandon, the reason that y'all don't shoot many threes is because you have no idea how to create them. Yeah, stopping anybody. You guys, if you had, they took one corner three against Utah in the last game. One. It's not just the amount of threes. See, this is one thing people focus on, the amount of threes. It ain't the that. The volume. Yes, it's, it ain't it's, the volume. It ain't the vo- it's about who's taking them, when they're taking them, when they're taking and them. when they go in. Because that's the Pelicans' biggest problem. It's not that they don't have twenty make 23s a night. You don't have to win and make 23s a night. What you have to do is, A, defend it better. Why are teams shooting over 40% every night against you on the three? And that is not because – your team defensive strategy in and of itself is wrong. It is not. It is because your players have not shown the commitment to understand 
who their opponent is, the guy standing against them. If it's Marvin Bagley shooting a three in the corner, let that go. Let it fly. If it's Harrison Barnes, get in his face. Mm -hmm. You can get broken down off the dribble, as we've seen Zion get done repeatedly in transition. You can't see Jackson Hayes provide no resistance in transition. You can't see the guards allowing De'Aaron Fox to put his feet in the paint. And we our, our friend Antonio Daniels has said this over and over again. They again that Sacramento game in particular, they were driving just to touch the, the paint because once they touched the paint, they knew the Pelicans were too dumb defensively to not send too many guys and leave all these shooters open. If, if you're leaving NBA players wide open, they will make shots. And the Jazz, in and of themselves, are the best three point shooting team in the league. So if you leave the best shooting team open, they're gonna make threes. And that was is that, not about the design of the defense. It's about the commitment to it. Was that Marcus Morris or Marcus or or, or or Markeith Morris the other day when they said, man, you were on a tear, man. You hit like uh, eight three-pointers in the game. He goes, well, hell, I'm wide open. I'm supposed to hit these shots. I better hit these shots if I've got nobody playing defense on me. Bro, this is what... Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, that's the thing. It's like people refuse to acknowledge. Look, I'm going to run through it like this. My thing is you don't have enough defenders on this roster. And you can say everything you want about the offensive problems, but it starts with the fact that they cannot maintain effort defensively. Defensively. Eric Bledsoe has fallen off the map defensively. He is not stopping penetration. He is not good in space against other guards. Which is why Milwaukee got rid of him. They got the Milwaukee upgraded, and they get Drew, who's doing (laughs) those things, and they lose Eric Bledsoe, who's not doing those things. Which is what, when we first got Eric Bledsoe, I told people, and we talked about it last week in the podcast, the fact that Milwaukee had no problem letting Eric Bledsoe go, Told let you, you, know you to know that he was not of that championship caliber that was going to defend, that was going to elevate your team. No, but he's going to be... Guys, I if, there, if there's nothing else in this world that I know, and fortunately there are many things that I know, and I'm not saying it in that vein, but I know this game of basketball from an integral standpoint of what works and what will not work. They and I knew, com- huh? Milwaukee bailed on Bledsoe. Bledsoe, because they knew, and just like you alluded to, they upgraded. And I gotta give a shout out, even though I know he shouted you out last week, Antonio Daniels. People don't realize AD when AD's voice gets at a certain level high pitch, that's because AD is still playing the game yep. at that moment. Yep. AD, people don't realize coming out of Bowling Green, AD was one of the most explosive guards athletically, in the NBA. Athletically like through the roof. AD has always been one of my favorite guys. But aside from that, as a basketball player, he was also a very unselfish basketball player because he was a team guy as well. But the thing that I love about Antonio Daniels is the fact that he brings a passion and fire with him. He knows the game and he breaks down the game and he speaks 
honestly and truthfully about what is going on with this team. And he will not hold any punches. This team does not do film study and this team will not commit to defense. If you don't know who you're playing and what their tendencies are, and if you're not passionate about playing defense, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. And this team is not that. It is not. And for all the things that Nikhil Alexander-Walker has done well, he's not a good defender. He's not a good defender. And, and, and I've talked to coaches about this, and I've talked to our fr- also our friend Jamel McMillan, former assistant coach with the Pelicans. He ain't got no, no, no axe to grind with Nikhil. He loves Nikhil as a person and as a player, thinks he has great potential. But he'll mm-hmm. tell you, his feet are slow. His hips are slow. He's, he is built more like a Paul George as a defender. He's going to stand up a lot. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's not going to get get really low. He's not going to generate steals in that regard. He doesn't play the lanes because he's he, if he does, he gets beat because if he doesn't reach it, if he doesn't get his hand on that basketball, he's not going to recover. Mm-hmm. So he can't take risks. That's why steals were so far down for the Pelicans when Lonzo was off the court for those in, that top period of injury. Lonzo comes back, they add three more steals to the defense. The defense on the wing got better. In just his first game back, there was no question it was better. Mm-hmm. The problem is because the defense is so bad, all of this is disjointed. Lonzo is now his value is only on defense because the defense is so bad because they can't run, they won't run. And I think that this, also, and then I'll, I'll, I'm gonna say this, and I'm gonna turn it over to you. Brandon Ingram, in particular, has regressed over the last five or six games because he has decided to settle for jump shots. His free throws are down. His shooting percentage is down. His assists are down. His turnovers are up. His rebounds are down. His defensive impact is lessened. He has to get back to understanding. If he says he doesn't like the term two-way player, which he said at the beginning of the year, that we all supposed to play offense and defense, then he has to start – he has to be the tone setter. If he's going to be the leader on his team because you know Zion doesn't get it yet. And you know Adams won't do it. So it has to be Brandon Ingram setting the tone on defense every time down the court. And what did I just speak on right before we started talking about this? That ain't who he is. He has not made that next jump that you thought he would have after getting the accolades he did last season after improving in the fashion that he did, after being recognized as a closer like he was. Fourth quarter is his worst quarter this season. Fourth quarter is his worst quarter by far. He has not made that jump that you are supposed to going into that following season. He just hasn't. From everything that we saw from Brandon last season and in that bubble, Brandon has regressed. He just has. And whether people want to accept it or not, he has regressed. He has not stepped up to that next page that you have to in this process. So what do you have on this basketball team? A team of complimentary players. They're all complimentary players. None of them are leaders. None of them are guys who take the bulls by the horn and say, get on my back and follow me. This is what's in their DNA. So that lets you know you're going to be dealing with this all season long. Now I've seen people tweeting craziness about, well, we should have never let Monty go. We should bring Alvin back. Guys. It ain't the coach. Stop. This is Stop. not the coach. This is, the play- this is what 
David Griffin put together. This is the roster that he put together. And there are certain guys you got to deal with the growing pains. If you want to see Nikhil get better, there's going to be growing pains. You want to see Kyrie get better, there's going to be growing pains. But I should not be going through growing pains with Josh Hart at this stage. Yep. I should. Josh Hart should be a constant. He's a variable still. And that bothers me. And I feel like his game has we've, – we've seen the, the peak of his game. He is not going to become a better ball handler. He's not going to – he could be – his shooting will fluctuate. He'll be a, a decent outside shooter. But he's not – he can't finish at the rim. He's not a super athlete, not a great defender in space. He's a very good – Josh is who Josh is. But he he's is who a guy is. that you – on a championship team, he's your eighth guy. On a he's championship your, team, he's your eighth guy. He's, he's not the first guy off the bench, and he's not a starter. You ready? He is your watered-down Leandro Barbosa, if you will, except Barbosa played defense, got in the lane. (laughs) He played defense, he got in the lane, and, you know, he could score multiple ways. Josh could easily be that guy, but Josh is too roller-coastery. He'll have moments where he'll look like goes in and out. And that's what I'm saying about Leandro. He'll have moments where he looks like a Leandro. And then all of a sudden, bow, he crashes right back down. And then all of a sudden he's right back up again. It's never a level of consistency across the board for him coming in as your seventh guy, as your eighth guy. And that's the main issue with this team as well. JJ, he's also been missing. All right. It doesn't, but my thing is, even if JJ were hitting shots, his team is not appreciably better. They have two. Oh, I'm not talking about him hitting shots. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it's the mix is bad. That's just the, it I mean, is. Have eight players who you can play, and of those eight, the mix doesn't work. It's too guard heavy. It's too. It, you don't have enough flexibility on the wings or in the post. It's they have an ill-fitting roster. And to me, the only decisions, and I, I, we got to wrap soon, but the only right. decision to make is if you are not committed to Lonzo, if, you have, if, you're, if you've decided that you've not committed to him as your starting point guard, then go ahead and move him. And it's the same got thing. To. If it's the same thing with Bledsoe. It's the same thing with JJ. If I'm not committed to any of those players beyond next year, it's time for me to move them and acknowledge that I'm going to build with these young guys and be honest with the fans and say, we want to build something. We're going to go through these losses, but you also better understand that business-wise what that means is a second straight year for Zion Williamson not in the playoffs, a second straight year that you now two years closer to the end of his rookie deal and the realization that David Griffin has to hit home runs this season in either trades or free or in the draft home runs, not doubles, not singles. He needs home runs to get this team next year because by year three, they have to be a top five team in the West. They cannot be year three of David Griffin's rebuild cannot have them fighting for the eighth spot or the seventh spot in the West. And that's where they are. And that's where they're going to be. If they don't pull the string on Lonzo, on JJ, and on Eric, because quite frankly, those guys are not giving you anything. They're just not, all right? So that means, first of all, you've got to find a leader out there. That's first and foremost. you got to get a leader. Secondly, you have to have 
teammates who understand their roles. Now that doesn't mean that they're all complimentary, but understanding who they are, what they do best, it's the buy-in, Dave. The yep. buy-in just isn't there for me. I'm not seeing it. Not only from a, 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 a statistical standpoint, but from an overall basketball standpoint. Why they would you buy it if you have so many guys whose situation feels fluid? If you feel as an individual on a team that you're a part, that you are something that is going to probably be moved or your contract is the thing that's in the air, as if you're like your Josh Hart or your Lonzo Ball, you are in the last year of your contract before restricted free agency and you're not getting what you think are the things that are advantageous to you to help you win and to help your financial situation, don't those things also start to impact NBA locker rooms? Absolutely. Absolutely. It impacts your locker room. It impacts your psyche. It impacts your chemistry. But it also speaks to this, Dave. And I don't want to keep beating this horse, man. Mm -hmm. But Dave, this team is disjointed. This team has no semblance of what team is, Dave. And that's what's missing. It's as if they are, again, five individual parts and they don't understand how and why they work together. And that's the frustrating thing. Just because you have all the talent and you have the skill sets, it means nothing if you don't know how to put it together. If you're not doing the field, if you don't know this first and foremost, if you don't know opposing players tendencies, you will always get your ass beat. It's plain and simple. If you don't know what other players are doing, that also tells me you're not watching basketball enough. Even if you're not doing enough film study, if you're watching sports center or any sports show, there is, they're showing you what players on other teams are doing. So you don't go into a game knowing these things. That is a lack of basketball IQ on you as an individual. And this team has more, a deficit. It has a But more importantly, deficit. but Dave, let me ask you this. Have you seen the level of frustration where I'm yelling at you? What the hell are you doing? Move over here. Why are you over there? Dude, I'm having to work too hard to make things happen. You don't see, all you see is guys just taking it on the chin. They take it as it is. They take and it as it is. And that to me, and that to me is more, more harmful, more of a detriment, and bothers me more than anything else is the fact that you're fine with taking the L. Where's your that pride? To me, that to me tells me, you know why you're fine with taking to the L's? Because that's just what you are. That's who you are. I'll never forget my mom telling me as a little kid, you are just a terrible loser. And I don't know what made me say it, kind of like my niece, Natalia, how she'll tell her dad something. And I go, well, mom, why would I want to be happy about losing? I don't want to accept losing. Pat Riley, and I'm going to leave it on this. There's winning and there's misery. That's it. That's it. That's it. Brother, I got to let you go. My brother. Another great one. Um, I appreciate your time as always. Um, Come on, family. I look forward to Thursdays with us, brother. So let's do it again next Thursday because we're going to have a lot to talk about. The Pelicans will be back home. Um, we also have we also be reflecting on the one year anniversary of the death of Kobe Bryant. So Whew, you know man. we have that to talk about next week too, and um, um, that that that's something that you and I both that hits us really really hard. Um, 
and, and, and basketball fans across the world, of course. So until the next time, uh, I am David Grubb. He is Dino, the Dean Hanson. And this has been High Low on Hard Pain. I'll talk to you tomorrow.